Hello, and welcome to the Hope Station podcast. I am your host, Diane Bells, and today I am going solo as I talk about my own addictions. This month I have been talking about, uh, with my guest, about sexual addiction, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, just anger addiction, these different substitutes that we have in our life that make us feel better about ourselves. And I was trying my best to get additional guests onto the podcast, and it seemed to be some time challenges. And I said, you know what, Diane, you're going to have to go on, be your own guest for the day, and reveal your own challenges with addictions. One of the things that I see is that we like to compare addictions, that one might be better than another or less intensive or uh, culturally acceptable or unacceptable than another. But there's still things that take us away that can numb us, that can have us um, feeling something different than we want to feel at the present time. They can be a replacement for relationships in our life. They can be used to fill voids in our life. And at times they can look healthy until they no longer look healthy. So today I'm talking about when I believe my addiction started and how I am working to change the face of them, or maybe I should say get them in better control of my life. So the first addiction I had started at a very young age. And I'm looking and saying, well, why is it important to know the start? Because the start's important to say, when did this behavior come about? And my first addiction was to TV. Yes, TV. He said, oh gosh, that's harmless. It's not. And I'm going to tell you why. So it started, uh, I grew up in a household where 10 people lived. I had two parents, two grandparents, and there were six children. I was number five. So my mom was a hardworking mom, and my dad was a hardworking dad. So being number five, my mother would look to get the four older ones and my dad out the door. So then she could begin the rest of her day because she was she cleaned and cooked and washed. She was washing clothes all the time with 10 people living in the household. So she would take a little pot, and I mean a pot with a handle. I guess you would. <laughs> the little pots that they used, like called a bedchamber back in the days. And she would sit me on that pot. And then she would go about her morning activities so that I could do my business while she did her business. And I was watching TV and I was just mesmerized by it. I don't remember anything else but those first hour or so watching TV. And it didn't stop. Even when I went to school, I'd go out and play, but that TV seemed to always be calling me. And sometimes it called me and I would get into trouble. My mother also liked to send me to bed early. And part of that is the good shows started at 8 o'clock when I grew up. So I would be in bed at 7, could not go to sleep because I wasn't tired. 
I still tend to be more of an uh, owl than a lark. And I would hear the shows come on. I would quietly open up my bedroom door. I would slither down the living room steps so I could hang down and watch a show, catch something, anything. I was so <laughs> pathetic at times that I would watch baseball games and black and white TV. Not something very interesting. No wonder my eyesight went bad when I was in third grade. I needed to watch the shows. I needed to be like in a different place because their life seemed a whole lot more exciting than mine. Gidget, Sally Field, in California with surfboard and boys and bikinis. Like that was much more exciting than my little life. I remember, you know, that girl with Marlo Thomas with Bewitched, you know, she could twitch her nose and everything would change. I cannot tell you how many times I wanted to twitch my nose and have things change in my life. Like my brothers would stop teasing me and my sisters would actually let me into the bedroom when they were doing much more interesting things than I was doing. You know you're addictive when you can remember the time that you first got that higher high. And that higher high for me was color TV. Was walking up the basement steps of a friend's house. We were at uh, a Girl Scout or Brownies. I can't remember what age I was, but we were walking up the steps and I heard the TV on in their living room and I had a look in and there it was, the Flintstones in color. My mom's like pulling me out of the living room and I'm like, I can't go. I have to continue to watch this. This is like the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And I think I'm pretty sure I saw the Grand Canyon before I saw color TV. But it was just that kind of, it would pull me in. I would hear the laughter. I would hear the dialogue. I would hear something. Maybe it's my addiction to stories, something, but TV was very addictive. When I got older, I would sneak up into my grandmother's room because she was allowed to watch soap operas and we were not. And this is the day when we pre-Netflix and pre-binging that you had to wait every single day to find out what was happening with your favorite characters. You know, would Erica Kane have another husband? <laughs> Did someone really have amnesia? It was just crazy. When I think of it now, it's crazy and it's sad because even when I got married, and had children, I would spend an unbelievable amount of time in front of the TV. I'd have it on the entire time I was awake. It was a way of keeping me company, having conversations that could be much more interesting than I was having with a, a three-year-old, a six-year-old, and a nine-year-old. It filled a void in my life. And that's part of what addictions is, filling a void. When I was in high school, Another addiction started. And growing up in the 70s, you might have thought, okay, she got into drugs, she got into alcohol, she got into sex, she was a hippie, you know, what was it? It was work. It was work. When I got, I'll say my second job at Rite Aid Pharmacy, I just thought like, this, this is awesome. 
Not at first, because they had me being a cashier and fixing the shelves and such, and that just felt way too much like work. And then I got promoted, and I worked in the pharmacy. And I worked in the pharmacy, and I was able to make things better. I just had a way of creating systems and processes that made things easier. And I loved it, because I was getting recognition and attention. They were saying, well, why, why should we have three people come in at night when we can just have Diane do it all? And I liked it. I'm like, I'm just going to work harder and harder. I wasn't athletic. I wasn't musical or artistic. I wasn't a cheerleader. I wasn't on student council, but man, I could work. <laughs> that is something I did really well. And this is when you get those hits, those accolades, those confirmation that you're good at something. You want to keep doing it. But I let that rule my life, that addiction to work and just being recognized. So being a stay-at-home for mom for 13 years, I did go back to college and did well in college. And then when I went to work as a full-time mom, it's like... I should have just stayed home and drank. I don't know if I would have been an any better mom because I was so connected to this thing called work that I couldn't seem to stop. So I went and looked and said, am I just making this up? Diane, are you really a workaholic? Is, is that a problem? And I found this questionnaire on the web and I will put this in my show notes and it asked 10 questions. You just have to answer and see where you show up. So the first one is work the most important thing in your life. Number one. This is sad to say because um, I loved my husband. Loved him until the day he died. I still love him and miss him. I love my kids. But when I look back at what was most important in my life was my career was my work. Sadly, that was yes. The second question, is it mood modification? Does working make you feel better at first? And it did. But this is when you know it's addictive because even though I wanted to stop, it's like I couldn't stop, stop. I couldn't stop myself from working. The better thing I did is when I had we'll call it, a, a, I had a punch the clock job because I had to leave. They didn't want you to work overtime. And then when I came exempt and went on to a manager and executive, I could work as much as I wanted to. No one was telling me to go home. My husband and kids were asking if I was coming home. <laughs> but I, yeah, it was very much, it made me feel better at first. Number three is, do you have a tolerance? Do you need to spend more time working or get more done to feel better? Again, the answer was yes. And it's still yes in some ways, even though I'm not working full time. You know, what else can I do? Pressure putting myself because that hit of work feels so good. I will feel awesome after I'm done recording this and editing this podcast. I will feel like I've done something, something worthwhile. Number four asks, do you get withdrawal symptoms? Do you feel uncomfortable when you're not working? 
Let's just say the last corporate job I had, I was there for seven years. And in those seven years, there were five days, five days that I was not checking my emails or bringing my laptop with me. I was in a beautiful vacation in Barbados with my husband and I didn't realize that I had a $900 phone bill. And how did I have a $900 phone bill? Well, my cell phone wouldn't work. The internet wouldn't work. So my only form of communication was calling on a landline from Barbados into the United States. I was calling at least every other day and on the phone for an hour and an hour and a half. My husband would go down to the pool or to the beach. I'd find him in the Caribbean enjoying himself. And I am up in that room because I would just get ready for this, feel better if I knew that work was taken care of. Not my husband, not celebrating our anniversary, but me taking care of work. And the sad part, well, the other sad part, I should say, is I had a very competent staff that I knew I could leave and they would take care of things. I was just so afraid, like, what if this work got taken away from me because I wasn't there to take care of it. This was not a one-time situation. This happened all the time. This is weddings, funerals. I was checking my email. I was working. And the reason I didn't for five days is because I went to London. And at that time, it was very difficult to um, do transatlantic. And I still can't figure out the time zone differences. Are we ahead or before? I can't figure it out. So I would feel bad not working. I would feel bad. I thought I'm just really dedicated. No, I'm looking at this and saying, no, I felt uncomfortable when I was not working. Number five. Conflict. Do you debate with yourself or people close to you about whether you are working too much? Yes. Joe was really good, my husband, in allowing me to do this. And I think he, he realized how important it was to me. He was the one who encouraged me to, to get a job, to, to accept this job as an executive, to do these things. And... But I also know that he was feeling like he, he was second, and he was. He was not number one. That was most important. And I think he was really surprised that when I was offered a job out in Chicago with the, the company that I, I eventually left, that I didn't accept it. I think he was really worried that I would because he knew how much work meant to me and how much it was going to mean when I finally left it. Relapse, number six. Have you tried to cut back on how much you work but failed? Yeah, I, I did do that. And it just felt like, why am I doing this? The work just keeps on mounting up. I was making work for myself. I would just create a new project, something else that needed to be fixed or improved or done. It was so bad of me trying to just create additional work that I had this great idea of additional work, you know, for my team and I to do 
that one of my employees looked at me and said, can we finish one thing before you ask us to do another? And I could get those jumpy little eyes like I was so excited by my own ideas <laughs> that it was, yeah, yeah. Compulsion is number seven. You know, do you have internal pressures to continued working? I'm still working. I don't know what I would do if I wasn't writing, if I wasn't doing this podcast, if I wasn't coaching. I don't know what I would do with myself. Would I want to sit out at the pool every day and read books? No. I think I would become addicted to that as well. <laughs> so just finding that balance has really been a struggle for me. Number eight, oh, this is a good one. Intrusive thoughts. Do you have random thoughts about work when you're not working? Oh, yes, I did. That's where the crazy ideas will come. Something would pop into my head. It's like I could not get work out of my head and out of my body. Number nine, disregarding consequences. Do you work to the point where other parts of your life are struggling? Do you ignore the negative consequences of spending a lot of time working? And the answer to both of those were yes. Um, my health, I had gained weight, I, my blood pressure went up, there was all these different things that, that were happening. And part of it is I was also the last uh, year of, you know, was perimenopausal, going through menopause at the time. So now you have all these other things, but I wasn't taking care of my health. My sleep was off, it was just crazy. I would go to a gym next door to where I worked at five o'clock in the morning. This is bad. I stopped going to the gym and then would arrive at work that early. I could just get more work done. I would skip the gym to go to work. Oh, I think you have a problem here, Diane. Number 10, filling a void. Is there something that work is compensating for in your life that you think is missing? And again, the answer was yes. And where did all this come from? I think a lot of it was just proving myself worthy. And I, 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 I truly hate to admit that that was in any way true. But it was. Uh, I was proving myself worthy. And I think part of it is because I was young. I was pregnant before I was married. I felt like People were judging me. They probably didn't even think about me. <laughs> um, and I wanted to prove to them. I don't know who them is. Never met them. <laughs> Never have seen them. But I wanted to prove to them that I was worthy. I was capable. I was smart. I could get things done. I had a fancy title. I had a big paycheck. That that was part of it that I wanted to feel valued and valuable, that I was worthy, that I could be, uh, that I was recognized. And the flip side is when I was recognized, I wasn't comfortable with that either. So it was like, I want the recognition, but don't, don't give it to me. Don't make it public. It's this twisted thing in my head. And then I looked and said, is there things that you're, you know, other factors is there genetically acquired traits and I think both my mother and father were workaholics in different ways maybe it was part of the depression I just thought that's how people lived like my dad worked 
six days a week. He would always take off to take us to church every single Sunday. But there were times he had to, had to work in the afternoon and he went and worked. My mother was working all the time from sunup to sundown. You know, that's why she was trying to get us all in bed so she could just relax for a half an hour or an hour. So that, that addictive part, I think, was there. My mother chain-smoked. You know, both of my parents liked their cocktails, so we need that kind of release or relief, and mine happened to be work. So I'm looking and saying, my gosh, what was going on in my head? And this is when I'm looking back and saying, where do you go from here, Diane? Where, where do you take yourself? And it was really hard for me. I lost that title of executive vice president. And I would do my training classes. I would, you know, my coaching on my website, I would call myself a recovering executive. Like I didn't want to let go of that part of my life was what I was hanging my, my entire image, my entire ego on that job. And then I lost a, another very important job, and that's being Mrs. Bells. I'm like, gosh, I'm without title. You can't be a Mrs. <laughs> if you don't have a Mr. I can't be an executive without a job. And I'm looking at how much this having titles, defining myself as something, was really impacting so much about my life. And there's just so many sad things that I can think of that as I go back. So how is it different now? So before I would say, hello, I'm Diane and I am a workaholic. And over the last year and a half, I've been really trying to recreate Diane, discover Diane, or find Diane. I'm not sure which one of it is. So today I want to say, I want to give some hope because that's what the podcast is all about. It's low. I'm Diane and I am a beloved daughter of the creator of the universe who sent his only son down to be crucified and killed for my sins. And one of the many of my sins is placing my work above God. I'm working real hard to focus my life, my value, not on what I'm doing or my title or accomplishments or the stuff I have. I've tried to strip away as much of that as I possibly can so that I can be valued for just me. And I have to learn to value me for being me. My granddaughter, Izzy, really put it into perspective for me. I was up there at Christmas time and felt like I wasn't doing enough. Taking them out to different activities, taking them out to dinner, take, just like buying, <laughs> buying for them, doing for them. And I apologize. It was the last day her younger sister and parents were out to a party and we're just... She's on the couch and we're watching like, you know, the, the food channel or the baking championships, whatever it was. And she just wants me to rub her back. And I said, Izzy, I am really sorry 
for not doing things with you on this visit. And she said to me, all I want, Grandma, is to be with you. That's all, just for you to be with me. I'm crying now because I'm thinking, I'm sure my daughter, my husband, my parents felt the same. They wanted my time, me being with them, me being present, me not being distracted, just me being. This is hard to kick, like all addictions, all things that you go to to fill that empty place in your heart. And I'm working really hard, really, really hard. But when you've lied to yourself for so long about your value, that your value is only in your output, in your work, it destroys you destroys relationships, destroys your health, can destroy you in so many ways. And what I don't want is for my sons, my daughter-in-law, my granddaughter, and other relationships to ever feel slighted because I'm trying to prove that I have to be anything but who I am. So hi, I'm just Diane. That was a tough episode for me to speak about, to listen to, to realize just some of the things I've created in my life. And what I want to do at this point in my life, and this is so much about what the Hope Station is, it's telling stories to share wisdom and set people free. I would love for you just to look at this checklist. I'm going to put it into the show notes and say, is this true of me too? Am I allowing something to take over my life? Whether it's work, whether it's exercise, whether it's people pleasing, what is it that's helping you to feel better about yourself or have this false sense of people appreciate you more, like you more, respect you more because of these things that you're doing. You know, to be admired, um, to be looked up to, whatever that might be. Because it is so disruptive to your life and to other people's life. And I just want to speak, it really does show me why my life has been so challenging over <laughs> the entire time I've been alive, I guess I should admit. Uh, but it's also a time for to step back and say, I get to finish this story the way that I want to. And that story, I want to end in peace. I want to end in joy. I want to end in counting things differently. So is it the job I have or the likes I have? I really want to look and say, was I able to step in, be vulnerable, be authentic, and bring hope into other people's lives?
And if I can say yes to that, then I believe on my last day, my Lord and Savior will say to me, good job, Diane, because I had used the gifts that he gave me, the gifts of hope, the gifts of storytelling, the gifts of encouragement, the gifts of providing motivation and inspiration. And if we can do that, if we can find those gifts, if we can step out in faith and use them, then maybe we wouldn't have to turn to these other things to feel better about ourselves when we realize we are perfectly created for a purpose and a reason. And when we find that, we no longer have to look outside of ourselves or outside of God to fill that hole in our heart. So thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning into the Hope Station. And if this has been hopeful for you, I would love if you would share it with your friends, with your coworkers, with anyone who you believe needs some hope. Thank you for pulling into the Hope Station and I'm looking forward to sharing another inspirational and hopeful story with you next week. Until then, have a blessed and beautiful week.